0: Verses 22 to 32. I will turn the pulpit down and take off my coat. I'm right underneath the baptismal pool and I'm hoping it's going to cool down a little. I put my finger in it before the service and if it had been my bath water, I'd be adding cold at this stage. But no fear for Fiona and those who are sharing in the service. Let's read together from Genesis 32. Verse <clears throat> that night Jacob got up and took his two wives his two maidservants and his eleven sons and crossed the ford at Jabbok after he'd sent them across the stream he sent over all his possessions so Jacob was left alone and the man wrestled with him till daybreak when the man saw that he could not overpower him He touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and men, And have overcome Jacob said Please tell me your name But he replied Why do you ask my name Then he blessed him there So Jacob called the place Peniel Saying It is because I saw God Face to face And yet my life was spared The sun rose above him As he passed Peniel And he was limping Because of his hip Therefore to this day the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. This is God's Word. Now, keep it open in front of you because this is not an easy story to understand. And the first thing we have to wrestle with is with the text in front of us. But I hope that with the help of the Holy Spirit, we will learn something about wrestling with God in prayer and prevailing and not just learn a load of facts about prayer, for most of us know plenty about prayer, if we've been Christians for any length of time or around churches for any length of time, but prayer which will take us beyond the mere parroting of words or that superficial conversation with God which passes for prayer to a deep and decisive encounter with the Lord, which will lead to a radical change in our lives. So look with me at the story and the events surrounding it. I want to say three things about the wrestling match linked in with three things about Jacob. Here's the first one. An unavoidable encounter. And I want you to see that, first of all, we see Jacob as the running man. Jacob, at this point, has been running all his life for more than 60 years, often literally, like a boxer, to change the picture from wrestling. He has been ducking and diving, dodging and weaving, swerving ever since he emerged from his mother's womb, hot on the heel, literally hot on the heel, of his brother Esau, his twin who preceded him, so much so that his parents gave him the name Yaakov, which means he wrestles, he grasps the heel. So they called him Jacob. And his name reflected his nature. Someone who grasps his opportunity at the expense of other people, by whatever means, fair or in Jacob's case, usually foul. Jacob the boxer is quite prepared to hit below the belt when no one is looking. And so on one momentous day, when his elderly father wasn't looking because he couldn't see very well, he tricked him into believing that he, Jacob, was in fact his elder brother, Esau. The result was that Jacob got what was by right, by birthright, his brother Esau's possession. The father's blessing on the firstborn son, which once given could not be withdrawn. No wonder when Esau discovers what happens, he exclaims with anguish and tears, isn't he rightly named Jacob? Cheat, deceiver, twister. And no wonder that Esau determines that once his elderly father's funeral is over, for he seems pretty frail and tottery at this point, another funeral will follow in the family pretty fast. That of Jacob, because Esau is determined to murder him. And so Jacob has to run, to run for his life, sent hurriedly away by his anxious parents to the ancestral home in the city of Haran, way beyond the Euphrates River, to stay with his uncle Laban until the heat dies down. On the first night of his remarkable 400-mile journey north, asleep under the stars, with a stone for his pillow, Jacob has a remarkable dream. He sees a stairway reaching up, reaching down from heaven to earth and on it the angels of God ascending and descending and at the top of it he sees the Lord Almighty. And the Lord meets Jacob and this is what he says to him, Genesis twenty-eight, thirteen to 15. I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth You will spread to the west and east and north and south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you. And I'll watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. That is pretty remarkable given the kind of guy that Jacob was. The Bible calls it God's grace. In the morning when Jacob wakes up he realises that he's had an awesome encounter with the awesome God. And he builds an altar, he names the place beth El, which means House of God, and he makes a vow. Here's Jacob's response. If God will be with me, and will watch over me on my journey that I'm taking, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my Lord, my God and this stone I've set up as a pillar will be God's house and all that you've given me I will give you a tenth. Then he goes on his way. Now I want you to notice at this point he has met with God or to be more precise God has met with him but he is still running. He is running and trying to escape from an unresolved path. Now I have to tell you there are many Christians like Jacob and I have no doubt whatsoever without any special knowledge of individuals here that there are people like Jacob in the congregation like that this morning people whom God has graciously met when you were in need at some crisis in your life you cried out to God for help and responding to God's promises we make a commitment of sorts one in which self-interest is still paramount. You notice what Jacob said? Okay, if you do this, if you do that, if you do the other, okay, then I'll follow you. But we are still running because there are unresolved situations that we still have to deal with in our lives. And you may be a Christian, but a Christian on your terms. There are still no-go areas in your life. Closed rooms which no one, least of all God, is allowed to enter. Hidden areas of your experience from the past that are still unresolved. Thankfully for you and me, God is very patient as he was with Jacob. One day he will meet decisively with Jacob, but not yet. One day there will be a no-holds-barred wrestling match. But Jacob has other lessons yet to learn at this point in his life. Painful lessons. And the tutor that the Lord has lined up to teach Jacob these painful lessons is his uncle Laban, who is a better and dirtier fighter than even Jacob is so Uncle Laban when he arrives there welcomes long lost nephew Jacob with open arms and sees here a rookie that he can rip off and so he tricks Jacob into marrying not the daughter he loves but his elder daughter and then he says well if you want the other one you can work another 7 years so Jacob spends 14 years working for two wives unpaid labour and then he tricks him into tries to trick him into getting him to work as a shepherd and paid for six years and losing out on that as well. And after 20 years, Jacob has had enough. And the Lord tells him, Jacob, it's time to go back home. Back to Canaan, back to the land of promise where you and your people belong. So Jacob runs again. Very interesting. He gets up with his wife, wife and property and sons and everything he's accumulated in the land and he runs away from Laban and when Laban hears about it he pursues him hot on his heels determined to sort him out and it's only the intervention of the Lord that saves Jacob from his angry uncle Laban and Jacob is allowed to proceed but suddenly he finds it's out of the frying pan into the fire For he receives word that his brother Esau, his long-lost brother 20 years ago, the one who was determined to murder him, the one he ran away from, is approaching from the opposite direction with 400 armed men. So now Jacob is running from an unresolved past and he is facing a fearful future. And it looks as though the past in the form of his brother has finally caught up with him. So on this decisive night... Before the encounter with Esau, he takes his wives, his family, his servants, his livestock and possessions over the ford of the Jabbok, which was a tributary that ran into the, into the river Jordan about 25 miles north of the Dead Sea. And there, and notice the words in front of us carefully, we're now coming to the text itself. Very significantly, in verse 24 we read, So Jacob was left alone at the crossroads of his life in the dark all alone and I want to tell you this morning that God's plan is to bring us all to that place to hem us in between the past and the future so that we're all alone but Jacob is not all alone and we are not all alone For out of the darkness, totally unexpectedly, an unknown assailant leaps upon him and wrestles him to the ground. Jacob does not know the man who has attacked him. But the man knows Jacob only too well. Better than Jacob knows himself. He has been pursuing Jacob down the years. And now trapped between an unresolved past and a fearful future with nowhere to go and no one else to turn to Jacob must face up to him he has although he does not realise it an appointment with the Lord an unavoidable encounter, encounter Jacob the runner is finally halted in his tracks by the Lord it is the place where many subsequent Jacobs have come in fact I would go so far as to say It is the place where every Jacob must come. If he or she is able or ever to experience all that God has for us. Oh, we can settle for less. Wives and children, property and possessions, even some experience of God's presence and His promises. And yes, we can bury the problems of the past, and somehow managed to suppress our fears about tomorrow, we can get by, but nothing more. And some of us are there this morning. Oh, you say, I'm a Christian. I remember when I became a Christian, made a commitment, came forward, prayed a prayer, and God met with me, I know that. But God's plan is to bring us to the place where He brought Jacob, the place where we are alone with God, where we must face up to God and stop running. Now, for some people, that happens when you come to faith in Christ, particularly for prodigals who've wandered far. But for older sons, those who've stayed at home, particularly those who have grown up in Christian families, and as it were, and I don't despise this in the slightest, made some kind of commitment when we're younger and we've gone through the process, maybe even passed through these waters of baptism, Sometimes we need to come to a very important place where we have a real and decisive and deep encounter with God instead of just getting by as Christians. And I have to tell you that the time and the place of that meeting are not ours for choosing, but for God and His choosing. That's why it's an unavoidable encounter. If God brings you to this place, there is no escape. But maybe today, Even here in Charlotte Chapel on this day, 26th of January, 2003, maybe this is your day and you're a runner. God has brought you to this place that has been my prayer this week. God might bring some of us to that place where we stop running and start engaging with God in a real and personal way. But the encounter is not enough important. It is, what in, it is what happens in the encounter that is important. It is the outcome of the wrestling match that determines our destiny. So notice secondly in the story after an unavoidable encounter, secondly an unequal contest. And now we see Jacob not as the running man, but the struggling man. The man leaps upon Jacob It's a graphic picture, isn't it? It's very mysterious. This man leaps upon Jacob and wrestles him to the ground. And so begins an intense life and death grapple and struggle. There is no referee to call time and say, take a breather or time out. It is an intense life or death struggle with no pause for breath or time for relief, one that goes on through the hours of the darkness until daylight begins to dawn and break. Now we know that the man who wrestles with Jacob, this mysterious man, is none other than the Lord appearing in human form, as happened in the Old Testament. Sometimes he's called interchangeable the angel of the Lord or God himself. Some even see this as what's called a Christophany, that is an appearance of Christ in human form in the Old Testament. Whatever the case, the man's full identity is never clearly revealed, not least to Jacob when he asks him his name and gets no answer. But one thing is absolutely clear, if this is God in human form, it is a very unequal contest. This man, we read, wrestles with God. And we read that Jacob wrestles with the man. Now, I ask you, how on earth can a human being ever engage in hand-to-hand combat with the living God and not only managed to hold his own, but then notice what verse 25 says. The man, brackets God, could not overpower him. How is that possible? And I have to tell you, I don't know. Other than to say that in this wrestling bout, God somehow accommodates himself to Jacob's level and strength so that the struggle is a real and not a pretend one like the father who pretends that his wee boy can put him down with a wrestling hold on the rug in front of the fire. she has been a father with a son. You remember doing it and I see some son smiling of also, don't he? And should we think this is an academic question of no real relevance? Let me ask you a more difficult question which is absolutely relevant if you are a believer in God and a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. How can prayer... How can prayer, what we ask God to do, have any real effect in changing God's plans? In halting, as we thought last week, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, or in saving a lot and his family, for example. I do not know, other than I believe that the Bible says that God makes it so and chooses it to be so, so that he accommodates in some sense himself to us, by engaging us in prayer in which our struggles with Him really affect the outcome. Now that may ruffle a few theological feathers and put some strain on some systematic theologies. But I have to say this, there is no point in wrestling in prayer if the fight is fixed. Especially if God is the one who engages us in the fight. But, should we or Jacob get carried away with a sense of our own importance or of the extent of our powers, notice what happens in the story. The man simply touches Jacob's hip and puts it out of joint and he is absolutely helpless. There is nothing he can do other than hang on till daybreak. So the man says, look at the story, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replies, I will not let you go unless you bless me commentators and preachers are divided about which point in the story Jacob discovers that this is no ordinary man but the Lord himself that he's wrestling with. At some point, Jacob realises that. That the man he wrestles with is not his enemy, but his friend. Martin Luther said something I think is very significant. He said this, You must know God as an enemy before you can ever regard him as a friend. I encourage you to think about that. Yet what Jacob realises is made to realise when he is incapacitated by this man is that he cannot win the blessing ultimately by his own struggles. Now look again at the story. There's a very interesting play on words in the story that obviously doesn't come out in English but in the language in which it was written in Hebrew. There is a play on the word Jacob And Jabbok, which if you think about it, even in English, sounds pretty similar. But also the word wrestled. It's a Hebrew word, abok. It sounds like Jacob. And one commentator says, very interesting, verse 24, he says, you could paraphrase it, so Jacob was left alone, and a man Jacobed him. You get the point? here's Jacob the twister he's been Jacobing all his life twisting and cheating his way and at this decisive moment in his life the Lord no time for Jacob to think up some clever scheme or plan you know to get the blessing the Lord pounces on him and Jacob's the Lord takes the initiative and his tactics, his Jacob tactics are useless One touch and he's finished. Jacob is incapacitated. So how can he get the blessing that he so desperately seeks? Not by manipulation, not by cheating, only by clinging to God and desperately seeking his blessing. All he can do is to cling to God and plead for his blessing. I will not let you go unless you bless me. it is that point we come to where we get desperate enough to seek God with all our heart and mind and soul and strength when we engage in a spiritual life or death struggle with Him in which we realise that all that we have and are there is nothing we can do other than seek God and His blessing and hold on to Him for dear might and it is light years removed from now I lay me down to sleep I pray the Lord my soul really Now, the Bible has a word for it. This holding on to God when there is no other hope. You know what it is? Faith. When we were kids in Sunday school, we were told, Faith, forsaking all I take, trust Him. And in its fullest sense, that is what happens when you become a Christian. You turn from your sin, your own way of trying to struggle and please God, and you turn to God and faith in Christ and what He did when He died on the cross, and you trust in Him, forsaking all. I trust Him. Repentance says, I give up on the old way, the Jacob way of life. But because many of us do not understand what it means, or like Jacob at Bethel, we make some kind of superficial response which is still largely Driven by self interest, there has to come a time in our lives when we surrender all and let go of everything else and hold on to God with all our heart and mind and soul and strength. And until you come to that point, you continue to play it being a Christian. Oh, you know something about God but it's not enough, is it? When you've tasted something of the Lord's goodness and power, does not God put within you a greater thirst and desire for more? And is it not a battle, and do we not run away from that kind of commitment? And this is such an important issue, because at this point, you can let go and give up, and you can walk out the door and settle for a superficial faith and a relationship with God that merely goes through the motions of Christian service. So in this unequal contest, we see Jacob, the struggling man, hanging on to the Lord for his life. And now thirdly and finally notice the unexpected outcome in which we see Jacob as the limping man. Having affirmed his desperate desire for God's blessing, I will not let you go unless you bless me, The man asked Jacob, what is your name? Now as we've seen in this church on several occasions studying the Bible together, whenever God asks a question, he never asks it because he lacks the information that he's seeking. This man is not asking Jacob's name because he doesn't know who Jacob is. He knows very well who Jacob is. What he does need is for Jacob to admit who he is. And his nature which his name reveals Finally Jacob says What is your name? And he says Ya Jacob twist, Cheat Deceiver It is an admission of guilt And then And only then Does he receive what he really and needs Notice, then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you've struggled with God and with man and have overcome. He not, re- not only receives a change of name, but what goes with it is a change of nature. The name Israel actually literally means God fights. But the play on the name and this whole interaction between who's doing the fighting and who's doing the winning and who's doing the struggling, it's come to mean... You have fought with God. From one perspective, God fought with him, but from his perspective, he fought with God and prevailed or overcame with God and secondarily with men, that is with Esau and Laban. You don't have time to look at it, but when you get home, read on the story. As soon as Jacob gets up at the daybreak, limping away, there's Esau, boom, no problem. Welcomes him with open arms. What changed his mind? When he was heading that way with 400 armed men, God changed it. The battle was won at Jabbok. And not only is Jacob's future assured, but that of the nation which will spring from him, the people of Israel. Whenever the people of Israel hear the name, they say, we are the people of Israel. Our ancestor Jacob became Israel because he prevailed with God. And God in His grace met him. And so when we struggle and prevail with God and with men, we are assured, because of God's grace and His blessing, that we are the people of Israel. But he is still the God of Jacob. Again, I don't have time to look at it, but I encourage you to go to concordance. Go home. If you feel discouraged about the kind of Christian you are, go home and look up in a concordance. You've got a computer, with the Bible. and Look at the phrase, the God of Jacob. Great encouragement. Every time you see the God of Jacob, remember that God is the God of failures, cheats and christians. But he doesn't leave us there. He wants to change us and transform us. What a crucial encounter this was, not just for Jacob, but for all the nation of Israel. William Still, preaching on this text, said, In this story, we see the spiritual birth pangs of the nation of Israel. And I have to say to you this morning, your encounter with God will have an untold impact, not just upon your life, but upon the lives of all those you touch. Indeed, I say to other generations. It will have an impact upon your wife or husband. It will have an impact upon your children and your parents. Because a life given over surrender to God, the life of a person who has truly encountered the living God, will have a dynamic impact on people. And you may establish a Christian family in which the Word of God is taught, and who knows down the generations what impact that will have. So the unexpected outcome for Jacob was that he was given a new name. As to the man's name, Jacob does not need to know. His request is not answered. All that he has is all that he needs, the divine blessing. Verse 29, he blessed him there. A new name, blessed by God. It is daybreak. The man leaves as mysteriously as he came. For to see God in the blaze of the sun would be life-threatening for Jacob. Yet he realises the significance of the encounter how privileged he's been to see God face to face and live to tell the tale so he calls the name of the place Peniel which means the face of God but notice there is another unexpected outcome of the wrestling match for the conflict involved a cost his dislocated hip leaves him with a permanent limb and I want you to notice that Jacob is not only blessed by God but he's also crippled by God like the new name Israel the limp is also a reminder that God's blessings always come at a cost and it always gives of grace not merit and the limp reminds him of his constant dependence upon God and it is also a reminder to future generations of the people of Israel one that sadly they forgot Yes, they were the people of Israel who prevailed with God but they're also limping people who need to depend on God and it's not by merit but by grace and so they don't eat the sciatic nerve of the animals that they eat in their meals attached to the hip socket. And those who have wrestled with God there is always a cost and he always leaves you marked. Those who prevail with God carry scars that reminds us of our dependence on God. The Apostle Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 12 a remarkable experience he had. Such a fantastic spiritual intimate experience with God that he said he was transported to the seventh heaven. And he said in order to keep me from being inflated with pride God gave me a thorn in my flesh to keep me humble. Three times he said to the Lord please take it away and the Lord said no. My grace is sufficient. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, says the Apostle, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest upon me. So, almost finished. Have you ever wrestled with God? Surrendered all to God? God? Done real business with God? If so, you will be a marked person. The way of blessing is the way of the cross, it's the way of Christ. Finish with a final illustration. Amy Carmichael was a remarkable woman, born in 1867 in County Down in Northern Ireland, from a family of Covenanting Stock in Ayrshire, in Scotland. She left the missionary service in India in 1895 and never ever returned home until she died in 1951. She created and led a Christian fellowship in Donavur in South India which reached out to the poorest people around in the name of Christ and among many other things rescued many girls, young girls, from ritual abuse. In 1931 she suffered a serious accident and despite her prayers and those of many others for healing she remained largely confined to her bed for the final 20 years of her life yet out of that experience God used her powerfully to challenge many Christians to a deeper walk with God not least through her books for she was a gifted writer and poet and I conclude with one of her poems which picks up our final theme and asks us a final question Hast thou no scar? It's on the screen but you may just want to listen Hast thou no scar? no hidden scar on foot or side or hand I hear these singers as mighty in the land I hear them hail thy bright transcendent scar hast thou no scar hast thou no wound yet I was wounded by the archers spent leading me against a tree to die and rent by ravening beasts that compassed me I swooned hast thou no wound no wound no scar Yet as the master shall the servant be and pierced are the feet that follow me but thine are whole can he follow one who has no wound, no scar?